Hi friends, Keisha here. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Milk to Meat. This season of where I am breaking down scripture and giving you the meat and not the milk. So, if you've ever wondered where the where some people get the idea that Christians can have demons or if you've ever heard um, people talking about Christians with demons and or even if you're a modern day Christian who completely denies the ability for a Christian to have demons You're going to want to listen to this episode. I'm going to break down the book of James and discover just how Christians can have demons. So, without further ado, let's get to it and enter the book of James. So, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James is in the New Testament, is right before the books of Peter, closer to the end of the Bible. So, in this book, James, the author, this is James, the brother of Jesus Christ, is not the Apostle James. This is the brother of Jesus. And throughout this book he is writing to the Jewish Christians that have been scattered throughout Rome and as we dive into it and dissect the scriptures you will f- we're going to find a f- few um, interesting little nuggets in the scripture that I think you will find very interesting as well it, or as interesting as I find it so um throughout the entire book James touches on four or five different topics concerning the application of your faith. So previously in this we've broken down the commission of believers and what Christ told believers their purpose is or their purpose for what they're supposed to be doing. Like as a believer, our our for lack of a better word, our job as a Christian is to is the great commission is to spread the gospel and to heal and to cast out demons. And we went through that in the last 3 episodes and we've seen that the gospel that Jesus was speaking of is the kingdom of God and we went through the kingdom of God and what that means and so I suggest you go back and listen to those three episodes to get caught up on where we're at today um so a part of, like I said, our, for lack of a better word, our job as a Christian 
is to spread the gospel and, and to apply our faith. So the book of James kind of breaks it down and explains how we apply our faith. So he gives he does that with contrasting empty faith with faith that works. So on top of that, he discusses the trials that Christians will go through, the law of love, the importance of holding your tongue, and even the wealth among Christians. So, I want to begin, I'm, I, unless the Holy Spirit leads me somewhere else, I'm going to stay in James throughout the entire book, and we'll go through each one of these, um, through each episode, I will try to get through as much of it as I can with each episode, and, but I, I highly feel that it's important for any Christian or any Christian seeking deeper relationship with God to know how to apply your faith and not just have faith, so, the book of James is very important in this um, milk to meat process because in the milk stage of your Christianity it's basically just wrapping your head around you know what Christianity is who Christ is and and so forth it's, it's just the milk it's just the the basic understanding of who you are in Christ so, the meat comes with the application of all of that knowledge and the application of the the power and the and the faith and everything that is given to us through our dying with Christ. So. Anyways, so that's why I will stay in the book of James for however long it takes to get through these five chapters, unless the Holy Spirit leads me somewhere else, and, um, so, let's get started. The first, James 1, verse 1, he introduces himself, James, He's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he gives you who his audience is. His audience is the tw- to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. And greetings. So he introduces himself. He gives them greetings. But before we move on, I want to give you a little nugget. So... In this first verse, we have his audience being to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. In my commentary, it specifically states that he's he's talking to the Christians in Jerusalem that were scattered throughout Roman or throughout the Roman world. Um, it was the community of the Jewish Christians of that time. And 
Um, but we see, but we've we've seen the twelve tribes spoken of before, and spoken of specifically in the Old Testament. Um, you find the twelve tribes in Deuteronomy twenty-seven verses twelve through thirteen gives you the, the list of the twelve tribes, and. It also describes the list of the 12 tribes being the kingdom of Israel or the house of Israel. Um, in Isaiah 8.14, we see the first, um, dis- the first usage of the, of the statement, the two houses of Israel. This was where... Um, the kingdom of Israel was split into the north and south halves, and the south half was Judah, which cons- um, had Jerusalem within it and was ruled by King David. And um, most notably, ruled by King David. And then that the house of uh, or the north house, which is was the house of Israel, or the kingdom of Israel, consisted of the twelve tribes of Jacob, or Jacob's twelve sons. Now, Jacob had more sons, but the, the twelve, his twelve sons, are the only ones that are um, noted as the tribes. So, we also know. We learn in the Old Testament, Jacob's later renamed to Israel. And that's why it's the kingdom of Israel. It's it's speaking of Jacob and his 12 sons. So, um, a little interesting fact. If you have time, you should go and research about the split of the Israel kingdom or is Israel became an actual empire at one point and it got split when Rehoboam I butchered that I know but it was Solomon's successor so after David came Solomon and then Solomon there was another successor and then that was only there for two years and then after that person it was Solomon but I highly suggest it's very interesting information if you go back and look at the the um, the history of the kingdom of Israel Um, and I, I, will, I will research it further and bring it back, but um, I did a study one point talking about Judah, uh, the north and south and the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel and how Judah, which consists of mainly the Jews and Jerusalem, they, they went back home um, in that time after they had been conquered they eventually they went back home and they could they kept the laws of god but on the other hand when israel 
was taken over, they scattered amongst the Gentiles and they mixed with the Gentiles. They, um, they not only mixed as in uh, they mixed their their people so then they become Jew, Jews and Gentiles together but it, and they weren't you know just full-blooded Jews anymore they also mixed their um, standards and their their traditions and their and everything else and that's how Israel got so mixed up in with the Gentile nation and got so lost and went through all of the turmoil that they went through throughout the the Old Testament because unlike Judah they didn't return and they they stayed out there and they enjoyed themselves with the Gentiles and they they mixed with the Gentiles and they um, took on the Gentiles traditions and, and different things so they were easily captured and Israel you know were bought and traded and sold and enslaved throughout the Old Testament and um, Christ even a part of you know we find in scripture Christ even mentioning that he came to bring Israel home so a lot of this was talking about the 12 tribes scattered he's talking about Israel so anyways I got off on a tangent but if you have time I suggest you do your study on that it's very interesting so let's move on verse 2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Now he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers, fellow fellow believers of the faith. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, so he's assuming, and he's already he already knows that we are going to go through trials. We are going to go through different problems. We're going to go through different uh, different things throughout throughout our life that. We count it joy because we should know, and as a as a Christian during your milk state, you should not you should figure out you should know that testing of your faith develops perseverance, and per- perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. As a Christian. So he's talking about your Christian state, you as his brother, you as a Christian, you as a believer, you should count your trials, you should consider everything that you're going through, your hard times, and it's hard for believers, I I myself, I I will admit, I do not do this at all, always, but, and when I look back on things, I see how it grew me and it helped me um so verse 2 consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance but let's let's look at what testing means here it the greek word is uh, dokum dokum 
Mimum. Minum. Oh, gosh. I will butcher these Greek words like crazy, so I don't even attempt them sometimes. But you can look it up. Strong. I, I use the Strong's Concordance. But it means testing for proof of. So this is not just testing you... Um, to see if, you know, uh, let's see, how, how's it normally put in the modern day church nowadays? Isn't, anyways, move on. The left, that thought left me, but it is the proof of your faith and, and faith here is is translated is, is pistis is translated as the word faith here and previously if you listen to my previous episodes you learned that there's pistis is the noun of faith and pistuo is the verb of faith and a lot of times throughout the bible you see pistuo translated into the english word believe and pistis translated into the english word faith but okay so here we're talking about pistis the noun and it is the faith or belief or trust that is always always a gift from god it's used of all time all the times god has revealed his will and it is always received from God never never ever ever generated by us we cannot generate faith God has to give us pistis so our trials that we go through we should consider it joy because it is is the proof of our faith and it develops our perseverance so perseverance is hupomone meaning you're patiently waiting or you're enduring so it develops our our waiting or endurance or develops that patiently waiting for Christ to return. So the you know I don't remember exactly the scripture but you know those who endure to the end are saved. Um I'll look that scripture up and I'll I'll confirm that in the next episode, but that I don't remember exactly what scripture it is, but Jesus states that those who endure to the end, so testing this these trials that we go through are proof of our faith that that progresses and develops our endurance for us to last until the end so all these little things that we go through 
just grows us and matures us and we see that in the next in the next verse in verse four perseverance that patient waiting or the endurance must finish its work so that you me the believer may be mature or made perfect in some translations you see made perfect but perfect means spiritually mature um so that we may be mature and complete not lacking anything so for us to become a mature christian a mature the mature spiritual being that we were meant to be and to be made complete in everything that god wants us to have we have to go through these trials to develop that to grow that so every trial that we go through is like a stepping stone to being made complete in who we are as a Christian in our spiritual we are being made perfect spiritually perfect spiritually mature So, moving on to verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, and this is a little nugget here. um, Wisdom, the Greek word is Sophia, meaning insight, clarity, or intelligence. But the little nugget that I know of is in Enoch. I think it's chapter, somewhere between chapter 70 and 75. Enoch describes the Holy Spirit not only as a female, but as wisdom. It, when he's, he's talking about a spirit of wisdom that accompanies the son of man now the in Christ identifies himself as as the son of man um fulfilling that that prophecy made in in the book of Enoch but he's um so it, we understand that when he's what Enoch was talking about Christ, and throughout that whole description, he's talking about Christ and what Christ, Christ coming to Earth and and dying for us, and he's accompanied by the Spirit, and he he names it as a it's a female, he names it as. And this is just in the book of Enoch. It's, I know a lot of different um, theologies argue this, but in the book of Enoch specifically, he's he's describing wisdom as a female, and he's but he's also describing it as as the he accompanies Christ. So this we would we would identify this as the holy spirit and it's also named as wisdom so 
this little nugget that I thought I would share with you. Um, if you get time, I suggest you read the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch is a fascinating book as well. It's Enoch's testimony. It's Enoch's description and his everything that he's seen when he was taken up into heaven. And the angels gave him a full detailed tour of heaven and gave him all the secrets of the earth. And he wrote them down. And the book of Enoch is that literature that he wrote down while he was on his tour of heaven, receiving all the secrets of heaven and all of the secrets of life. So God and the angels gave him all of that knowledge and he wrote it down for us and it's fascinating you'll learn so many things about this world in that book um and it's also quoted the book of enoch is quoted in the book of jude actually the entire book of jude is a quote from enoch and jesus himself quotes enoch and um you know, he finishes that, you know, he completes that prophecy because Enoch is the earliest prophecy of Christ. And Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. So, he he was one of the earliest prophecies of Christ's coming and him coming as a man on earth and his death and his resurrection. Enoch prophesies all of that and Jesus quotes Enoch to tie it together to complete it and everything else so anyways I highly suggest you look up the book of Enoch read it it's fascinating um so moving on um If any of you lacks wisdom, he said that we're going back to verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So it was interesting there that he added without finding fault. Without finding fault, I'm going to butcher this name. I'm not even going to attempt it, but. The Greek word there, the Greek definition, means to disgrace or to insult. So, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Who who gives generously without insulting or disgracing you. Yeah, I mean, we, as human beings, we, we tend to mock and and insult those who lack wisdom or lack knowledge or intelligence or who struggle with comprehending certain things. I've been guilty of it. Many of you, and I'm sure probably all of you listening, have been guilty of insulting people for their lack of intelligence. Just the other day, in the listening to the debate between the the two candidates for president all you heard 
was insults to intelligence among the two presidents. But God is not like us. God is not like us at all. And he, I, I thought it was interesting that he threw that little, that little fact in. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He gives it to you not only generously, but he doesn't mock you. He doesn't insult and disgrace you because you do not have wisdom and because you're having to ask. And a lot of us, again, as humans, we we even just automatically assume and take on, um, you know, this... We mock ourselves and we disgrace ourselves for even having to ask questions. And we sometimes don't even ask what we need to ask. And we just assume because of fear or whatever we're going through that keeps us from asking. And we'll disgrace our own selves for not knowing the things that we don't know and everything else so it's like I said it was just interesting that God threw that in there and he was just he's not, he not only gives you wisdom generously he, he'll give you gen- wisdom generously but he gives it to you without mocking you without disgracing you or insulting you and you can find comfort in that, that he will give it to you generously without mocking you. And moving on to verse 6. But when he asks, he must... And see, there's a condition to this now. So the but there is tying a condition. So he, he will give you wisdom generously and he won't mock you. But you have to do so in a certain way. There's a but. So there's a condition. But when you ask, when you ask, you must ask in faith. Now, some translations, my NIV, my NIV translation says must be believe. He must believe and not doubt. And believe, like I said before, is mostly translated as the verb of pistis or the verb of faith and um, the word faith is translated as, as the noun so but right here the Greek is actually pistis it's not pistuo so it's the noun not the verb so he must he must have pistis which is the gift that only comes from God is the faith that only God gives us. We cannot, we cannot generate this ourselves. So, when you ask, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. When you ask Him, you must have faith. And the fact that you're asking... I listened to um, Pastor Stephen the other day, and he he was he had a sermon about God asking, and 
this verse brought that to my remembrance where God doesn't ask you. When God asks you something, He knows you have it. So, when we ask, we should ask as if we we already have it. We know we have it, and it's going to be given to us. We're going to receive it. Like going up to a, a, the, a bank teller, we know we have money in our account. So, we go to that bank teller and ask for a certain amount to withdraw and we do so, we're not doing that in doubt. We don't go to that bank teller doubting that we have money. Well, I take that back. Some of us may with this recession and lack of work and, you know, the reduced money that we all receive right now. But generally, when we go to that teller, we know there's money in there. So we're asking with an expectation that we're going to receive it because we know it's already there. So when God asks us a question, he's not asking because he wants to know. He's asking because he knows it's there. And he already gave it to you. And so, anyways... Pastor Stephen did a lot better job of explaining that, but he said, when he asks, when the person who lacks wisdom, that's who he's talking about when he says he, he's talking about you that lack wisdom, you should ask God, but when you ask God, you must ask with pistis and not doubt. So, we look at not doubt and is diacrino which is one of the five different versions of judgment. Diacrino is two, the two words combined, dia and crino, meaning separate judgment. But the definition, um, the, the word meaning separate, to discern one from another, hesitate, waver. It's like judging apples and oranges. Is, is it, you're deciding between apples or oranges. You're, you're wavering between which one you want. Do you want an apple or do you want an orange? That's what it's speaking of, is this, that separation. You discern one from the other. You're hesitating. It's not a quick decision. It's a hesitation. You're wavering back and forth. You're... you're you know, evaluating all of its characteristics to make a decision. It's a hesitation in your decision. So you ask with faith and no hesitation. No hesitation. So that's how you ask for wisdom. Because, let's say, if you don't ask that way, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. This man, the man that doubts, that doesn't ask properly, should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. You, you shouldn't think that you're going to get anything at all. If, you're, if you go to God 
with no faith at all, with fear and doubt, if you go to God with fear and doubt, asking Him for something, you are not going to receive it, and you should not even expect to receive anything from God, because He says you will not receive anything from Him if you do not go with faith and no hesitation. So, it's very interesting. This is how you apply. He, he's talking about your trials. He's talking about what, how you ask for wisdom. James is giving you the blueprint here. It's very important. That Continue on. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. There's a semicolon there. So that, that thought continues on. He, the same man, this doubting man, this person that does not ask properly, he is double-minded. He's, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So I'm, I'm going to stop right there. But I, let's, I want you to look at double-minded. So the break it down in the Greek, we look at the Greek translation is Dipsicus, and Dipsicus is interesting because Dipsicus means two souls, two minds, or two selves. It is, it is formed from the two separate words dis meaning two and suke meaning soul is basically like being a spiritual schizophrenic so a double-minded man a man who hesitates and does not have faith a man who is deciding one way or the other This man is a double-minded man. There's two there. And it's, he's unstable in all his ways. So, I'm probably going to have to break this down a lot more. And it may even do a YouTube on it to show you pictorials. Because double-minded is very, very convoluted it's when Christ talks about the different parts of the body he talks he separates the parts of the body he has them um, he separates them by their Greek name and he identifies them and speaks of them individually <clears throat> but he also there's three part there's three names that he uses that has a combination of the five parts. So the five parts that he discusses um is the body, it's in the Greek it's it's the soma or or the different body parts you'll see the Greek definition is melos. But the entire body, the, the, the body is soma. 
soul is suke and it means the breath of life in the seat of the emotions spirit is suma or is not suma it's numa sorry spirit is the greek translation is numa and it means the breath it's the life the breath the breath that god blew into us to give us life is also used to describe both the holy spirit and demons but it's connected to the soul suke because it's the breath or the in in the soul is also the breath of life so it's similar there and they they overlap each other to form life so or the inner man and a lot of times we you see um pastors or churches or different teachers talk about the inner man and the outer man and the outer man being this bag of bones basically this travel bag or that some say that we are traveling in here on this earth and we're just temporary here and our spirit our inner man actually belongs to heaven it's it's not of this place but we were quickened, and quickened means to be brought to life. So there, our spirit was quickened or brought to life or born again. That's how we're born again is our spirit is quickened. That inner man is quickened inside of us. <clears throat> and... Um, it can... It, makes up who we are so we have the spirit is separate so separately we have body soul spirit and then we have the consciousness which is sunadeus i butcher that i know but consciousness is also described as the love letter of god and it's, it's god's moral standards for us basically it's our right or wrong the knowledge of right or wrong so we have body we have soul we have spirit we have consciousness that's four the fifth one is our mind and a lot of people um and Again, the mind is also connected to the soul <clears throat> because the soul, which is where our, the seat of our emotions, is the motivation for thoughts that enter our mind. <laughs> so the mind and the soul kind of work together, but it's also separate in itself because the mind or in the Greek, the Greek term, noose, um, 
Jesus describes separately and he identifies and speaks of separately, but he also speaks of it um, in conjunction with the soul when he talks about the psyche. So it's, there's, it's a complication, but once you understand the different parts and how some of the two or how two of the parts blended together give you um for instance this the soul and um the mind blended together is what Christ talks about when he says the heart so the soul and the mind is the heart and but it's not the entire soul it's like it's the blended the blended area of the soul and the mind the the intersection of the soul and the mind is the heart and then the belly he's talking about just the the soul being the seat of the emotions that you know where the belly is is just where the your emotions are so it, it's in great detail it clarifies a lot of confusion within scripture when God's and Christ is talking about the different body parts. And especially when he's talking about you must believe with your mind, heart, and soul. You know, when they're, they're all parts of each other, but they are all separate as well. So, um, like I said, here in double-minded, because Numa the the suke and the numa the soul and the spirit they mix together to give you the heart they mix together together to give you the inner man of the person and you have two people two selves two souls two minds so you have two minds and two souls you're going to get a spirit which is two you have two separate ones and that is where we can see and we can understand and that's how we understand the possibility of Christians having two spirits in them they can't a demonic spirit cannot take over the location of your spirit your godly spirit that a demonic spirit cannot touch that. But because they're all separate, a demonic spirit can touch your body. It can touch your noose, your mind. It can touch your soul, your emotions. It can touch your... Um, uh, it can mess with your consciousness. You can, you can sear your consciousness... Because of the actions of demonic spirit affecting your emotions and your thoughts of your mind. So, when you get saved, technically you're not saved until you've endured to the end. It's a huge misconception. Because when Jesus is talking about being saved, he's not talking about your eternal salvation. He's talking about the power that you receive to separate from sin. But 
when you receive the power to separate from sin, that point, that power that you have, that separation from your sin, when you experience that, that is your spirit being quickened so you're receiving the power of the holy spirit to separate you from the sin and the lifestyle of your sin and because you have that holy spirit now inside you in your spirit man he's quickened in you demonic spirits cannot enter that area they cannot enter that that internal depth of you and who you are your true form your true self they can a demonic spirit cannot touch the inner man the 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 spirit man of you but a demonic spirit can touch your mind he can touch your body that is why christ constantly warns us to guard our minds to guard our eyes to guard our ears, to guard our mouths, to guard our hearts. That is why constantly Christ is telling us to guard our bodies and our, this bag of bones, this suitcase that we carry around, to guard it from sin because sin opens the door for spirits. And when you sin, you allowed a spirit inside you. And in Luke chapter 11 verse 24 25 26 Jesus talks about you are the home demons call you their home you are the home of a demonic spirit when you sin you legally under the law of sowing and reaping you have legally given a demonic spirit access inside of you to either affect your mind or affect your body or affect your health or it affects you in some way and your consequence of that sin I'm just going to use for instance smoking our consequences of this smoking if we do it long enough, it will be death. But we also have cancer and the deterioration of our lungs. That's something we were not supposed to put into our bodies. That Christ, and we were commanded not to put inside our bodies. So when we do that, we've opened the door to that in order to receive the reaping of what we sowed. And we're going to reap that lung cancer and possibly death. But Christ, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit that is inside you can remove that and heal you and cast that Spirit out and separate you. That power of the Holy Spirit can remove it from you and make you whole again. Like we talk, like we've seen here in James chapter one verses four, that you may be perfect and mature and complete and whole, lacking nothing. You're whole. You're able to discern God's perfect or preferred will for you. So, 
like I said, you're as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit that resides in your spirit area. We have five different areas of that make up who we are. You have the spirit area, which is the Holy Spirit's where he he stays. And then you have your mind, your body, and your soul. And all three of those are easily affected by demonic spirits through sin and the law of sowing and reaping. And if we do, if we sin enough, take a murderer for example. A murderer does not wake up one day and just automatically become a serial killer. It takes practice to become a serial killer he started small he progressed over years and time he progressed over time killing and perfecting the way he killed to become a serial killer to sin you you have to practice it to be a sinner you have to practice it on a daily basis to be a sinner sin Sin, we cannot run from. We, we sin, but we are not a sinner. If we're not practicing that same sin over and over and over and over and over and over again, and not living in that sin, you, you are no longer a sinner. It's completely different. It's different terms. And so, like, a, the, like the example of the murderer. He didn't wake up one day and just become a, mur- a serial killer. He started small murdering bugs and pets and progressed into people. And doing so, once he reached a certain, a, a certain amount of killings, he severed his consciousness. It's severed. It's God says that it is... Um, seared it's it's like cutting and and burning it you can never reconnect it god seared the consciousness he's this the consciousness is seared so you no longer have your direct line to god and god communicates to us through our consciousness our consciousness is god's love letter it's his his way of communicating our consciousness is god's communication his direct line his the telephone that you pick up to contact God directly that is your consciousness when you sear that through the repetition of your sin and the practice of the sin that you're committing you sear your consciousness in that and you cannot restore that the Holy Spirit can restore it but you cannot restore it so Understand that this is talking about a person that that is wavering, who doubts, who hesitates, does not have faith. He is a scripture descri- he describes him as a double-minded man. He has two spirits, two souls, two minds, two selves. And that is how we can have Christians with two spirits, with a demonic spirit and the Holy Spirit. Because 
while he was a sinner, while he was in sin, living in sin and practicing sin, he, he obtained a spirit, demonic spirit, inside of him. He opened the door for that spirit to enter him and make him his home. And then when you, when you believe and you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you obtain the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your inner, as your inner man. He enters to, as your inner man, you are quickened, but that spirit still resides in your body. That demonic spirit is still in your body. It has to be cast out. It has to be delivered. You have to go through deliverance for certain things. It doesn't automatically happen always. It, it happens, you know, there's, there's some cases of when you get, when you accept Christ, then you automatically get healed and delivered. But there's, there's different, there's some cases that you have to go through this, the process of deliverance and the casting out of the demon and rebuking the demon to make it, to make it leave. And that's how you can have a Christian that is wavering. That's how you have a Christian who believes in God, but, you know, he hesitates. He's still kind of dipping, dabbling in sin and dipping, dabbling in, in other, other spiritual things. That's because he's double-minded. So we'll continue this on in the next episode. Study, read it for yourself, check out the book of Enoch. Do history on the kingdom of Israel. It's very interesting. And if you have any questions or, or comments, then make sure you reach out to me on one of the social media platforms. You can get me on egg at Keisha underscore pointer or on Facebook, Keisha Pointer. I'd be happy to answer your questions. I'll be happy to have a conversation with you about this. And I would be happy to pray for you and teach you deliverance and to perform deliverance on yourself. So as I finish up today, we'll continue on in the book of James and how we apply our faith to our lives as Christians. Hope you all have a wonderful night. God bless you and good night.